0: On Friday, President Trump, struggling to work with Senate Republicans to pass Obamacare reform, suggested a possible solution. Maybe, just maybe, Republicans should repeal Obamacare and then replace it piecemeal. He tweeted, quote, If Republican senators are unable to pass what they are working on now, they should immediately repeal and then replace at a later date. Naturally, conservatives, like some people in this room, have been promoting this policy since literally before the 2016 campaign, for like seven years. And Trump and the Republicans refused to follow that policy prescription because they believed simple repeal wouldn't be a good campaign slogan. They wanted the cop out of being able to tell Americans they had a super double secret plan to replace Obamacare. It turns out there was no such plan, and that the Republican caucus is fractious and bickering, and that it unites big spending moderates with conservative free marketers, and that it's kind of difficult to replace Obamacare, much more so than to repeal it outright. But only now, after months of talk about how Republicans want to destroy Medicaid and throw poor people off the cliff and stab grandma in the chest, does Trump come to this eminently obvious solution. One of the great ironies, of course, is that Trump says this directly after meeting with Senator Rand Paul. You'll recall the tenant majority leader Mitch McConnell actually wanted to first repeal Obamacare wholesale and then replace it. But it was a guy named Rand Paul who told him not to do so and told Trump that to do so would be a mistake. Now Paul has flipped. He tweeted, quote, I've spoken to President Trump and Senate leadership about this and agree. Let's keep our word to repeal, then work on replacing right away. This follows hard on pressure from conservative senators Tom Cotton and Ben Sass, who said they would push to separate repeal and replace into two pieces. Well, better late than never. But Republicans are running out of time. They made a promise to the American people. Now it's time to keep that promise, and it looks like maybe President Trump is finally on board. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. Oh my gosh, there is so much going on in the world, and so much of it is caused by silliness on Twitter and MSNBC. The big story of the day, of course, is that over on MSNBC, um, Mika Brzezinski and Joe Scarborough are in it with President Trump. And they're in it because yesterday, Mika Brzezinski attacked Trump on the air. And here is what she had to say about Trump. This is clip three. Make
1: covers of Time magazine. He was so needy, he had not been on Time yet, that he made his own, okay? Oh my God. This is your boss. This is your boss. He put this on display at at least five of his clubs. It was first flagged by a reporter. (laughs) Trump is hitting on our uh, front, even TV. Several exclamation points on the headlines, something Time Magazine doesn't do. The make-believe cover is dated March 1st, 2009 and highlights Trump's reality show, The Apprentice. Time Magazine has since asked Trump to remove the phony cover. Phony. A phony, fake, pathetic Made-up cover of Time magazine. Uh,
2: You know, that's
1: your boss. In
2: an email to the Post, the White House couldn't comment on whether the president knew it wasn't a real cover.
0: Okay, so she called him needy, and then she talked about his tiny hands and all this kind of stuff. And so Trump fired back yesterday with that tweet about how Mika had had a bloody facelift and wanted to meet with him, and he said, "No, I won't meet with her. Her face is all bloody. It's a weird bloody face facelift facelift, big bloody." Okay, so Trump obviously like, uh, come on. (laughs) What in the is just what is going on what is going on what 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 alternative universe did we stumble into every night I go to bed and I think the world can't get any stupider and then every morning I wake up and I think well things were so much smarter last night I mean this is so dumb and then it got dumber so Trump did this routine yesterday where he tweets out about her bloody facelift which is the president of the United States for God's sake man grow a second layer of skin for the love of God get a shell because this is ridiculous. I mean, if the worst that happens to you is Mika Brzezinski says something unkind about the size of your hands on national TV, get the hell over it. And Mika Brzezinski and Joe Scarborough, I mean, yes, they're, they're, they're TV clowns. I mean, why is this any surprise so fun? So this morning... This becomes a very serious issue. Yesterday, a very, very serious issue. We must take it super seriously, right? We can't laugh about it. It's very serious. The president is a sexist. It's worse than it's worse than Watergate. It's worse than you know, it's it's worse than Bill Clinton stopping an intern in the Oval Office. It is worse than than uh, than FDR locking up all the Japanese folks in internment camps. It is worse than all of those things combined. The president said about Mika Brzezinski's bloody face. So listen, do I think it's appropriate? No. Do I think that it's degrading to the country? Yes. Do I think it's degrading to the office of the presidency? Yes. But I think we've been degraded for a while, I think Trump is the culmination of a grand pattern toward the degradation of our civil society. In any case, everybody in the media just goes insane. So Mika and Joe, who are now married, I guess, uh, they they decide that they are going to skip their vacation and show back up this morning because after all, as I said yesterday, the only people who benefit in this Trump-Mika Brzezinski-Joe Scarborough battle are the people who I just spoke about. Right? And I guess us, because it's amusing. Um, but aside from that, the only people who benefit are the media, who like to cover this, and Trump, who likes to hit the media for his own side to go, yay, yeah! Okay, so, in any case, uh, they, they come out this morning and they say that the president is, is terrible and awful. And then they tell a story. Okay? And the story is now making the rounds because they make a relatively serious accusation about the president of the United States using the power of his office to attempt to push them to change their coverage of him uh, by essentially blackmailing them. Here's the story that they tell.
2: We got a call that, hey, the National Enquirer is going to run a negative story against you guys. And it was, um, you know, uh, Donald is friends with, the president is friends with the guy that runs the National mm-hmm. Enquirer. And they said, if you call the president up <coughs> and you apologize for your coverage, uh, then he will pick up the phone and basically spike the story. I had, wow. I will just say three people at the very top of the administration calling me. And the response was like, Are you kidding me? I don't know what they have. Run a story. I'm not going to do it. The calls kept coming and kept coming. And they were like, Call. You need to call. Please call. So- Come on, Joe. Just pick up the phone and call him. It's blackmail.
1: And let me explain what they were uh, threatening. Um, they were calling my children. They were calling close friends.
2: You're talking about my- the National Enquirer. Yeah
1: and they were pinning the story on my ex-husband who would absolutely never do that. So I knew immediately it was a lie and that they had nothing. And these calls uh, persisted for quite some time and then Joe had the conversations that he had with the White House where they said, oh, this could go away.
0: Okay, so this is a pretty heavy accusation that they're making right now, right? They're accusing the President of the United States and his top aides of threatening them with a bad National Enquirer story unless they Apologized to the president of the United States for being mean to him. Now, is the story plausible? Sure, the story's plausible. I mean, why wouldn't it be plausible? Really, I mean, the president of the United States, when he was just candidate Trump, was very, very close to the National Enquirer. Talked about how she won a Pulitzer. Repeated their headlines about Rafael Cruz murdering JFK and all this nonsense, and then said, "Oh well, I didn't have anything to do with that. I have nothing to do with it." Okay. I didn't believe it then. I don't believe now that he has no relationship with the National Enquirer. But uh, the National Enquirer, of course, denied all of this. Uh, the Daily Beast is reporting that Jared Kushner is one of the people who called up Joe Scarborough and urged him to uh, to apologize to President Trump. Okay, but here is the bigger question. Okay, and this actually is a bigger question because Trump using, you know, being a blunt instrument of, of self-destruction is not anything remotely shocking, right? If, if he actually did this, and we, it's an if because... Scarborough and, and Mika are alleging this, and, and he's saying he has texts to prove it. I assume that we'll see those texts sometime in the near future. Trump is saying that that's not what happened, that actually Scarborough called Trump and urged him to kill the National Enquirer story. Scarborough says, I have phone records showing that the calls went the other way. Okay, whatever. All of this is not shocking in any real way, because all of the actors are acting just as you would expect them to act. I mean, President Trump is not only a bull in a china shop he threatens people he does i mean this is not like a big shock it's not and it's a bad thing it's a bad thing but i have another question and this is one more about the media why didn't micah and joe mika and joe reveal this when it happened so they said that they told nbc news higher ups this happened apparently in april early may it is now last i checked late june what happened in the last two months why didn't they reveal this at the time? Pretty devastating accusation, right? I mean, if at the time, you come out and you say, this morning I got a call from the White House. There's a National Enquirer story that's about to run. It's a hit piece on me and Mika. And the president of the United States called me up and said that he wanted a personal apology from me or the National Enquirer was going to run the story. You don't think that's newsworthy? You don't think that's newsworthy? Why wouldn't you reveal that? And this demonstrates, the point that I'm making is this demonstrates the tacit game that is being played by the media and by Trump, by the White House and by the media, and it's it was true during Obama, it's true now. There's a tacit game that's being played to raise everybody's ratings and to keep attention on the media and, and the last thing they want to do is destroy the game. What we are watching right now is a giant kabuki theater. What we are watching right now is WWE. If this were a legit fight, Joe Scarborough and Mika would have come out immediately and revealed this story. If somebody, if the White House threatened me with coverage, do you think I would hold that back or do you think I would report that? I would report that the day of, right? The day of. Before the phone call was over, I'd be texting other media outlets. I mean, are you crazy? Why wouldn't I report that? That is the most newsworthy thing Mika and Joe have ever done. It's a lot more newsworthy than a coverage of Trump, but you can see the Kabuki theater because now they have to come back and try and claim that this is all a giant shock to them, right? They have to claim that this is all just a big surprise to them. So here are Mika and Joe this morning saying, well, you know, we never expected this from President Trump. Really? You know, want to talk about fake news? You never expected this from... Never expected this from Donald J. Trump, the most public figure in probably American history. D- Donald... That guy? The one who's famous for firing people and bullying people and being a general jackass? You, you never expected this kind of behavior from... Like, after last year when he insulted Heidi Cruz's looks via Twitter? After last year when he said that Carly, Carly Fiorina's face was reason not to vote for her? Like, Really? That's the fake news. The fake news is that Trump, well, Trump changed, Trump changed. Again, all excuse making because this is all just a game. It's all just a game. Here they are.
2: The guy that's in the White House now is not the guy we knew two years ago. Not the guy even that's close. in the White House now is not even close because the Donald Trump we knew for the better part of 10, 12 years um, was always in on the joke. Yeah. He'd like, he go, here's Trump water, and then it would wink at you. Yeah. Right? there. here's this. Hey, look, look at it. And it always wink, kind of like. They love that. Yeah. yeah look, look, they yeah. love that. Yeah. You know, it's like they just come here. They love seeing my name. It makes them feel like they're part of something. He was always in on the joke. Without getting into great detail, I will just say that somebody at the top of his campaign last summer said to me, We're all really worried about his emotional state. Yeah. But this he's is our cha- analysis. He's changed. No, this isn't our analysis. I'm, I'm telling mine. you what somebody said. Yeah. This guy is not even the same person he was a year ago.
0: Oh, he's totally radically changed. Are you out of your mind he's totally radically changed? Really? 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 <laughs> Come on. So, What does what all this say? What it really says is, again, there's a game being played where the media have an interest in playing up the drama and Trump has an interest in playing up the drama and a lot of the drama is overwrought and fake. Mika says mean things about Trump. Trump says mean things about Mika. All of it is wildly inappropriate from the office of the presidency. It's inappropriate for the media to, to attack the president's teeny hands for no reason. It's just vindictive and stupid. Um, and all of it is just a monster of the fact that after all this is over, I promise you, within three months, Mika and Joe will be at the White House hanging out with Trump and doing an interview where they're all making love. Okay, that's that's what's going to happen. I promise. Within the next few months, all of this will have blown over, and Trump will do an apology to them, and it'll be a quasi-apology, and they'll apologize to him, and they'll all make, they'll all make up, and it'll be all sweet and nice, at least on the surface. Okay, maybe down deep they hate each other, but it's all just it's all just stupid stuff and Trump is not helping himself with it and the media are not helping themselves. They're helping themselves in the rating, but they are not helping themselves when it comes to their credibility. Their credibility continues to fail. Now, speaking of their failing credibility, you know Trump continues to attack CNN. So while he's now attacking MSNBC, he's also attacking CNN. So he's going after CNN. He has been for a couple of weeks. Yesterday he was speaking. It's Energy Week. Lest you, lest you forget, it is Energy Week. I like when they declare it a particular week, and then the week has nothing to do with what they said it was going to be about. Energy Week is apparently bloody facelift week, and all of American politics, I think at this point we can all agree, needs a bloody facelift, a bloody bloody facelift. Okay. So here is President Trump talking about CNN and its fake news.
1: Many of us remember
2: the long gas lines and the constant claims that the world was running out of oil and natural gas. Americans were told that our nation could only solve this energy crisis by imposing draconian restrictions on energy production. But we now know that was all a big, beautiful myth. It was fake. Don't we love that term fake what we've learned about fake over the last little while fake news CNN fake
0: Okay so this is like a little pavlovian response and uh the smile and the wink at the camera okay again he's, this is being broadcast on CNN the whole game is is pretty transparent but You know What's even more transparent is that none of this has to do with bettering our politics in in any serious way. So James O'Keefe has been doing a a really interesting series of videos where he went sort of undercover with CNN. And he's got a bunch of CNN people on tape saying things. Now, here's the stuff I think that that O'Keefe is covering that is worthwhile. And here's the stuff I think that is just the wink and nod at the conservative audience. Ooh, here is some red meat. Eat it, right? Okay, so the stuff that matters is the first producer he talked to, this Joe Bonifield guy, said openly that the top of the network was saying to cover the Russia stuff even though there was no substance to it for ratings. That is a substantive critique of CNN. That is an important thing. That right there is breaking news from James O'Keefe that actually matters, right? That's the stuff that I care about, which is CNN actually, like what we see on TV is a lie and they're doing it for ratings. That's actual news. What is not actual news is the various random thoughts in private of of. Random associate producer. So, O'Keefe broke another tape last night, in which he uh, caught an associate producer of CNN on tape uh, saying some nasty things about the American voter and about Kellyanne Conway. And here is what it looked like. CNN, it's an impartial right, today. What's the view of Trump in in like the kind of
2: media circle, basically? On the inside, we all recognize he is. A clown that he is hilariously un- unqualified for this, that he's really bad at this, and that he does not have America's best interests. So we recognize just crazy. I mean, because look, here's the deal this is a man who's not actually a Republican. He's actually a Republican. And he just adopted that because that was the party he thought he could win it. He doesn't believe anything that these people believe. Uh, the man's on a third wife. I guarantee you he's paid for abortions. He doesn't give. Even- he doesn't care about gay marriage. He doesn't even really care about the budget. Right. The man's upping the budget even though he promised to to rein yeah, it in. You mean he'd be pro gay manager? And pro oh, yeah. manager. I she don't think he Ninety percent of us are on board, but just with just the fact that he's crazy. What do you mean? Ninety percent are on board. What? The, like uh, with hmm. with her? No, I wouldn't say with her, but just acknowledge the fact that he's Um, Ninety percent. My direct.
0: Okay, so this part right here, stop it there for a second. So, when he, says, um, when he says all this stuff, this is the newsworthy stuff, where he says everybody at CNN agrees that Trump is crazy. Okay, that's newsworthy because now he's talking about the entirety of CNN. He's talking about how everyone at CNN who pretends to be objective is actually not objective. They think that Trump is crazy. Okay, all of that is newsworthy and all of that is true. I mean, it's not not that Trump is crazy, but that they think this. We all knew this, right? Is that any great shock to any of us? No, it's not a shock that people at CNN think this. In fact, some of them come out and say it openly on air while purporting to be objective. So that's not a shock. The part that I object to about this tape a little bit is the part that's coming up. And that is this associate producer then starts giving his private views about, about various matters sundry. And I think that we're stepping into a little bit of dangerous territory here, and I'll explain why. But before I do that, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at the USCCA. So we're living in a, in a world that feels increasingly dangerous. It feels like uh, there are there's more violence. There, there was an uptick in, uh, in murder in the last couple of years in major cities around the United States. If you are concerned not only about the possibility of violence, but the possibility of things like home invasion, uh, about robberies and carjackings, well, then you should probably own a gun and you should know how to use it. And USCCA makes sure that you can do both. And they also make sure that if, God forbid, you have to use your gun in a self-defense situation, they have all the legal necessities that you are going to need because... It's not quite as easy as the cops show up, say, at self-defense and leave. You can definitely be caught up in a criminal justice system even when you do the right thing with the gun. So what the U.S. CCA does, what the U.S. Concealed Carry Association does, is they give responsible gun owners like you and me complete peace of mind in an unpredictable world by educating us, training us, making sure we are legally and financially protected for after we pull the trigger. And they also help us get armed. So right now, in honor of 4th of July, they are doing the great American giveaway. This is awesome. They want my listeners to know about it. Okay, Great American Giveaway by July 4th. If you win, if you win, you go over to their site, defendmyfamilynow.com, and you get five chances to win. Defendmyfamilynow.com. You get five chances to win $1,776 for the guns and ammo of your choice. It's like 1776 So you get a ton of money for the guns and ammo of your choice when you go and and you can register to win defendmyfamilynow.com get five chances to win it's a free shot at $1776 worth of guns and ammo you should register with defendmyfamilynow.com anyway because you get all those other resources I talked about the educational resources the financial resources the legal resources you get all that stuff with the USCCA but you also get the the cool opportunity to win $1776 worth of guns and ammo at defendmyfamilynow.com and you can register for five chances to win make sure that you uh, that you check them out. We appreciate it. Okay, so on to the rest of this interview. One of the things that I've seen from the right, uh, and this is happening in defense of, of Trump, is this attempt to say that when Trump tweets nasty things out about Mika Brzezinski, that this is the equivalent of what you're about to see from the, an associate CNN producer saying something privately. So I'm going to play the clip and then I'll explain why I think that trying to cover this as news is mistaken and foolish and, uh, and, and pretty silly.
2: Question the I don't want to be rude here, but be careful how I put it, you're at least some percentage Scottish, but it'd be fair to question the intellect of the American voter. Oh no, they're stupid. <laughs> I mean, they're stupid. Now, and of course the thing that pisses the White House, House all so much, because we actually had uh, that awful woman, Kellyanne Conway, you know, the blonde. Who's, who's um, sorry, Kellyanne Conway. What's um, she look like,
0: the, is she the well, one with
2: she the... looks like she
0: Okay, so the people on the right are saying, well, you know, you've got this associate producer, Jimmy Carr of CNN, saying that she looks like she got hit with a shovel. First of all, there are a thousand associate producers at CNN. But, you know, people are saying, oh, look at this. This is just as bad as Trump. It's just terrible. It's just the worst thing. I and mean, it's just as bad as Trump. So the same right that has that excused Trump on the bloody facelift stuff and on the Fiorina's face stuff and on the Heidi Cruz's ugly stuff, they say this associate producer at CNN, how dare he? How dare he? And... Here is my problem with this and even what he says about the American voter. Okay? Like I I've said I think on the show before that I think a lot of voters are dumb. Okay? We we voted for Obama twice. Okay? The American public voted for Obama twice and then gave us as nominees Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Okay? I'm not going to go with the all-knowing wisdom of the American voter. I think that we are wise about our own interests. I'm not sure that we are wise about politics or the constitution, which is why the country has been consistently drifting left for the last 80 years. But You know, everybody, oh my God, you said the voters are stupid. Okay, come on, come on. You've said the voters are stupid. Be real. You've said it. You said, look at all these other people. They're so dumb. Okay, like, come on. Everybody has said that. And then this guy says that uh, Kellyanne Conway looks like she got hit with a shovel. So is this something he should have said? No, it's not something he should have said. But I'm getting concerned about the tendency, both right and left, to suggest that private speech is exactly the same as public speech. That if you say something privately to your friend, that's exactly the same as the president of the United States, the most powerful man on planet Earth, going on Twitter and saying it. Uh, No. No. Okay, there are only three types of people who say exactly the same thing in public that they say in private. Okay, saints, because they say great things, wonderful things in private, and then they say wonderful things in public. Okay, evil people, who say evil things in private, and then they don't care that they're evil, and so they say evil things publicly. And fools, Right? Who, who will just say whatever comes to mind. And it doesn't matter if they're public, doesn't matter if they're private, they're exactly the same in public as in private. The rest of us, we say things to our friends that we don't want publicly exposed. We say things to our spouses we don't want publicly exposed. One of the aspects of freedom, one of the basic aspects of freedom is this distinction between public and private. Right? We used to recognize this. Totalitarian countries basically said there should be no distinction. What you say in public and what you say in private should be exactly the same. So we will tape you, we'll put the Stasi on you, we'll make sure that you never say anything privately because maybe, maybe you're thinking that when you go out and act publicly. In a free society, how we treat each other publicly is how we judge one another. So if I think privately, God, I really don't feel like giving charity, but then I sign a $100 check to a charity, my private thoughts are of no consequence to the society around me, okay? Only my actions, only my actions. Or if I say privately to somebody, God, I really, really can't stand that Barack Obama, right? He's just awful. And then I go out publicly and I say, you know, he's not my favorite president, I don't like his policies. Is that the end of the world? No, it's not the end of the world, okay? And and this, this whole idea that we're supposed to invade everybody's private, like, especially people who were pro-Trump. Uh, I think I was pretty consistent on this. I said this about Donald Sterling, who is, I think, a complete douchebag, but Donald Sterling was caught on tape by his then girlfriend, V. Steviano saying that he didn't want Magic Johnson coming to Lakers games because he was black or something. And I, and then he lost the entire Clippers team. And I said, uh, or he didn't want them coming to Clippers games. And I said, I think that he's a horrific person, but... I don't like the idea that we are going to deprive people of their careers and resources based on private conversations that they have because we all say things to each other privately that we don't want to expose publicly. And if you disagree with me, then I suggest you take all of your emails and you dump them publicly. I suggest you tape all of your private conversations and dump them publicly. The distinction between private and public is very important because we practice out in private what it is appropriate to say in public. So, yes, it matters more, it matters more that the president tweets nasty things out than it does that Jimmy Carr, a CNN associate producer, said in a private conversation at a coffee house that Kellyanne Conway looks like she was hit in the face of the shovel. Yes, it matters more because the president is the president and this guy's a random dude. And second, because the president deliberately said it publicly. I guarantee if you put Jimmy Carr on camera publicly, you put him on CNN and asked him, what do you think of Kellyanne Conway's looks, he wouldn't say anything like this. We all say things privately that we wouldn't say publicly because we know that it is not appropriate to say things publicly. And that's a good thing. That's not a lack of honesty. That's what allows us to live with each other. If we said all the things publicly that we said about each other privately, we would never be able to live with each other. Okay, This is called tact. This is why some of us have it. Okay, It's a useful thing. And undermining that on behalf of a guy who just says whatever comes to mind I don't think Trump is evil. I just think that he's a fool when it comes to him saying private thoughts publicly. You know, I don't think he's a saint, as some of his followers seem to think. And I don't think that he's evil, as some of his detractors seem to think. I think that he's foolish about how he uses his his rhetoric and language. You know, just because he does that doesn't mean that we should undermine this difference between private and public. We practice in private what we say in public. And yes, we should be better about what we say in private, too. But that is not the same thing as what we say in public. And if we make these the same thing, we are going to destroy a civil society in which we all can live. Okay, so as we continue here on the show, we are going to talk about uh, the mailbag and we are going to talk about The Democrats, of course, losing their minds over all of this in totally hypocritical, ridiculous fashion because they are going over the top on all of this, and it's really stupid. Um, But for that, you're going to have to subscribe. So for $8 a month, you can get a subscription to dailywire.com. You get the rest of this show live. You get the mailbag. You get to be part of the live mailbag, which we are doing today. And if you get an annual subscription, you get a signed copy of Say It So, a book about baseball and fathers and sons that I wrote with my pops. Uh, it's a really good book and you get a free signed copy when you get an annual subscription also make sure that you get your subscription now if you wait till July 10th our rates are going up get your subscription now lock it in and then you're going to keep that low rate locked in which is what you want and uh, and if you want to listen later on iTunes or SoundCloud make sure that you go over there and subscribe and leave us a review we always appreciate it we'll be back here at 9am uh, live on Facebook uh, and uh, and if you want to listen to the show later obviously use any of the methodologies that we have already talked about um, and and uh, we will see you on the other side okay so the, the Democrats of course are reacting to this with all of their usual uh, all of their usual subtlety and, uh, and honesty they're calling for Trump to be impeached so Trump tweeted something awful and they're calling for him to be impeached now this is the thing about the Democrats they have the same answer to every single, they, they have the same answer to every single question, right? The question can be, what is two plus two? And their answer is impeach Trump, right? Based on X, we will impeach Trump. And X can be anything. X can be Trump poop this morning. It doesn't matter what it is. They will always say impeach Trump. So that is what they are doing. they're doing. They're saying he's unfit for office. It's sexist. Okay, whatever. Here's Nancy Pelosi, uh, whose Botox I have made fun of many times because it is mockable, uh, talking about how it is, uh, it, this is just sexism.
2: I'm just curious to know whether you agree with Senator Feinstein, who suggested that
1: the tweet was sexist. Do you think that, on its face, that that was a sexist tweet from the president? I think it's so blatantly sexist, I don't even know that there's a question about it. Uh,
3: But uh, sad to say, I am still the highest ranking woman. I thought that was all going to be resolved in November. Uh, Instead, we have a person in the White House who not only doesn't happen to be a woman, uh, but happens to disrespect women. That's too bad.
0: Okay, so again, here's my view of Trump's sexism. Uh, Trump is not a sexist, he's a pig to like everyone. So I'm not sure this is just a consistent thing. But Sheila Jackson Lee, she goes on Twitter and she tweets out that Trump should resign over his nasty comments, right? So they're all calling for him to step down Based on, she says, there's a sense of hurt feelings Mr. President, bleeding from the face, you're again attacking women, professional women, as though it would have mattered if you attacked a housewife, you're calling someone a psycho with all of the individuals fighting for their lives, suffering from mental health needs you're attacking a woman, a professional woman about her IQ, I've gone through as a member of the Judiciary Committee impeachments, but we can't wait that long, it's time for you to resign, enough is enough, I love America I love these people and we need a commander in chief okay, if, if this was your breaking point for Trump, if, if it, then uh, I I will suggest that Democrats don't truly care about the treatment of women. They backed the president and his wife, who threatened people who alleged rape. Okay, they, they don't get to complain about oh, it's so he should resign. Okay, you backed a guy. You, you, there were people in your party who openly stated that they would perform oral sex on President Clinton if it would keep abortion legal. Okay? you don't get to talk about class and sexism with regard to with regard to President Trump. I mean, we can all talk about how this is dumb. We can all talk about how it's immoral, but for Democrats to play the wounded innocent uh, is really quite ridiculous. And then you've got the Republican response, which is just as stupid. Uh, you've got Sarah Huckabee Sanders tearing into the press saying, why don't you focus on the issues? Why don't you focus on the issues? Is it? it's to his legislative opinion, I'm not asking about the look, i think the was asking would,
2: about whether or not this helps his legislative agenda.
4: I, I think the president would love for us all to focus on the legislative agenda a whole lot more. Um, <laughs> over, you look at the coverage over the last month of <laughs> the extended period between <sighs> May Sorry. and June. All of the major networks, if you look at their coverage and what they're talking about, they spent one minute in the evening newscast talking about tax reform, three minutes on infrastructure, five minutes on the economy and jobs, 17 minutes on health care, and 353 minutes. 353 minutes attacking the president and pushing a false narrative on Russia. I mean look at that in comparison. If you guys want to talk about legislative agenda and focus on policy and priorities, you guys get to help set that table. And 353 minutes of attacks against the president and driving a false narrative. Okay, so
0: all of this is true, except for the fact that the president of the United States can't stop himself from tweeting things. Okay, half of the media coverage has been about his tweets. So, yes, the media latch onto those. But if you look at his actual Twitter feed, he's tweeted about the media, I think it was something like 80 times, and he's tweeted about jobs like like 20. I mean, like, he, he's just, like, take some responsibility media take responsibility for your own coverage president trump take some responsibility as uh dave burge at iowa Iowa hawk on on twitter put it you know kids in the backseat settle down stop kicking each other but it's just like even bill o'reilly was saying why doesn't he tweet about kate's law like yesterday the house passed kate's law which is a a law protecting people from uh, from criminal illegal immigrants and trump could have been tweeting about that incessantly yesterday instead he was tweeting about mika brzezinski's face
2: but you know, if I was advising President Trump, I would tell him not uh, who cares about Morning Joe and Mika Brzezinski. Who? Their ratings aren't nobody no one cares. them. I mean, cares? I mean, really, who cares? So they say bad things about you. So what? Um, get Kate's law done. You know, tweet about Kate's law. Tweet about you know the new health law.
0: Okay, even, even Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram were on Trump about the tweets yesterday, more for effectiveness and less for, less for morality's sake, because the, a lot of the right seems to have fallen into this trap of thinking that as long as you're smacking the left, it doesn't matter how you do it, uh, that you can be as moral as you want so long as you're smacking the left. Uh, Again, I disagree with that, but at least they were coming out and recognizing that this is ineffective stuff from President Trump, which it is. Okay, let's do some things I like and some things I hate. Uh, But before we do, I first want to say thank you to a new sponsor. So this is an awesome company. They make... Reliable, perfectly built, highly functional gear, okay, like backpacks at an affordable price. It's called Cannae Pro Gear. It's spelled C-A-N-N-A-E-P-R-O-G-E-A-R, Cannae Pro Gear, based off the Battle of Kenai. Um And it's named after that battle. Their mission is to provide the best possible backpacks, duty bags, apparel. They use quality materials that are designed to meet the grueling demands of combat while appearing, appealing to the modern, everyday user. So they're, they're pretty awesome looking. I mean, they're really great looking bags. Uh, I have a Legion elite day pack with helmet carry I actually use it because I am a because I'm a dad I use it as a diaper bag <laughs> but it is fully capable of carrying firearms it is fully ca- capable of carrying ammunition you can, there's even a place to strap a helmet um, but for me that's the place where I put the diapers I look I, I love it I love using it um, I highly recommend it the, this Legion elite day pack with helmet carry I'll bring it in next time and I'll show it to you because it's really a cool looking bag uh, again this is Kane Pro gear C-A-N-N-A-E progear.com. Uh, and if you use promo code Ben, you get 15% off your entire order. So use promo code Ben at KenaiProGear.com. If you want to be the dad who looks the coolest, uh, or if you want to be the mom who can actually fit everything into that diaper bag, or if you just want a bag that can carry your guns and ammo to the range, then this is what it is for. Terrific gear. I mean, really top-notch, durable, well-designed. KenaiProGear, C-A-N-N-A-E, progear.com. Use that promo get po- promo code Ben to get 15% off your entire order. Plus, you can also follow them on Facebook and Instagram at can A Pro gear. Um I do. Uh, so you can stay current with the latest updates and their deals and more. Again, 15% off your entire order over at CanEyeProGear.com. And uh, their, their gear, as I say, super cool stuff. Um, very user-friendly and really well thought out. I met with them and they showed me all their, their entire line. It's really, really amazing stuff. Okay, so time for some things I like. So things I like. We've been recommending. Uh, we've been recommending other podcasts this week, and I'm glad to say that on iTunes, our recommendations seem to be uh, seem to be helping those those shows get more listeners, which we always appreciate. That's it. go listen to Andrew Clavin's show right now. If you haven't already, go listen to Clavin's show. If you've never tried it, it's really funny and it's very witty. Um, but the, the the other podcast that I'm going to recommend today is Freakonomics Radio. So I really enjoy Freakonomics. Uh, they are definitely of the left. If you listen to their analysis, it's, it's generally from a, a social left perspective. Um, they are not averse to government intervention, but they take on kind of interesting social science and economics issues and talk about them. So they will talk about the evidence on how minimum wage affects employment. They will talk about um, how we can change people's behaviors. So they're more likely to get insurance. It's, it's it's really fascinating and things that you would never think of. Like they have an entire episode on how best to structure lines at grocery stores. Really, really interesting stuff. I always enjoy listening to uh, to Freakonomics, so you can check that out over at iTunes. It's worth listening to. Okay, other things that I like. So uh, there's this tape that came out yesterday. A guy stole a, a woman's purse and uh, he neglected to understand that she had a car, and here's what followed. get out of the, light, out of the I don't know what the outcome of that was. The guy stole her purse, so she hopped in her car, and then she hit him with the car. You know, I, the cops aren't allowed to do that because after you, uh, after somebody robs, you're not allowed to use force. She was five months pregnant. Um, she started to run after him. She says he was with my person, he took off, and I took off after him. Me being five months pregnant, I chased a little ways, then came back, jumped in the car, threw it in gear, came across the curb and ran him over. I was not going to get him le- get, let it get away with it. It's not right. It's not fair. Reigns was taken to the hospital after the incident. He's okay. He only suffered minor injuries. He's charged with felony breaking and entering larceny and misdemeanor damage to property for damaging the screens to Braswell's phone and iPad. This is according to Breitbart. Braswell is charged with misdemeanor assault with a deadly weapon for running Reigns over. Okay, if you're a jury and you convict this person, you're a bad person. Okay, you should not convict a person. Like, this guy had it coming, and uh, I have no problem whatsoever with the... Like, if she'd run him over and killed him, it might be a different story. But, uh, but her hitting him with the car to stop him seems to me uh, totally and utterly appropriate. She is our hero of the day here. Um, this is not to say that it is a wise move, but it is, uh, it is not something that I'm going to lose any sleep over. Okay, time for a few things that I hate, and then we'll get to the mailbag. So, things that I hate today. Okay, so this video is the end of Western civilization. Uh, over in uh, one of the Nordic countries, uh, I can't remember whether, this is in Finland. Okay, so over in Finland, uh, they have now released this. Uh, they, they have now released a uh, video of a sport that many girls are taking part in. It is called Hobby Horse. And uh, here is uh, what it looks like. Okay, it is a girl literally holding a hobby horse, and they are all running around like idiots and jumping around. It says, points are awarded for style and posture. And they say, no boys are allowed. Every once in a while, a boy will enter. Okay. This is where this, girls a, can be kind, free, can be no kind of boys, free. Like, there are no boys coming, coming and, saying, and what saying what
4: we need to do.
0: Okay, it says, riders are mostly girls age 12 to 18. Okay, okay, we need to stop this. Okay, this, the civilization is over. Okay, you're running around with, a, with basically a broom with a horse's head um, and calling this a sport. No. Just no, just no, okay? You're never, no. Western civilization cannot be preserved under these conditions. The answer is no. Okay, other things that I hate. So, the left is coming after my friend Dana Lash. She cut an ad for the NRA that's very controversial, um, and we want to show you the ad, and then I want to discuss what I don't like about the ad and why the left is out of its freaking mind. So, here, here's the ad. They use
3: their media to assassinate real news. They use their schools to teach children that their president is another Hitler. They use their movie stars and singers and comedy shows and award shows to repeat their narrative over and over again. And then they use their ex-president to endorse the resistance, all to make them march, make them protest, make them scream racism and sexism and xenophobia and homophobia, to smash windows, burn cars, shut down interstates and airports, bully and terrorize the law abiding, until the The only option left is for the police to do their jobs and stop the madness. And when that happens, they'll use it as an excuse for their outrage. The only way we stop this, the only way we save our country and our freedom is to fight this violence of lies with the clenched fist of truth. I'm the National Rifle Association of America, and I'm freedom's safest. Place. Okay,
0: so this is not my favorite NRA ad. Now, I uh, have been a member of the NRA in the past. I would again. I think the NRA is a wonderful organization. I wrote a legal essay back in Harvard when I was at Harvard Law and won a prize from the NRA, actually. Uh, so I, I I'm, my, my gun credentials are all in order. I also love Dana Lash. Dana's a wonderful gal. Uh, she and I are friends. And uh, this is so a couple things. Number one, this is not my favorite use of Dana. So I think best Dana is not angry Dana. I think best Dana is charming Dana because Dana is a very charming person. And the sort of, you know, angry Dana that they're showing in this ad is not my my favorite version of her. I don't think it's the most appealing version of, uh, of her public persona. Um, but the text of the ad is also a problem for me, mainly because I think that it's it's the, the language with regard to what the left is doing uh, suggests that words are violence. And as you know, this is one of my bugaboos. I don't like saying that words are violence. I don't think words are violence. When she says that they use the media to assassinate real news, well, that's, that's a little strong. Uh, or when she says that, like, some of it's accurate, um, but assassinate real news, you know, when she says that uh, that, that uh, they, they, it's the violence of lies. Uh, I don't think it's violence of lies, I think it's lies. Um, but, the, but what the left is seizing on is the, the clenched fist of truth routine. Now clearly she's being metaphorical, okay? In exactly the same way that Barack Obama was being metaphorical when he said, bring a knife to a gun fight, uh, a gun to a knife fight, right? We use the the metaphors of of violent imagery all the time in politics. It's not my favorite thing, but I also don't think it's the end of the world or that it's calling for violence. But the left, because they are looking for an excuse to pretend that the right is violent and the NRA is violent, they've gone nuts over this. So there's a bunch of people, including Gavin Newsom, uh, the lieutenant governor of California, who presided over the riots at Berkeley because he's the lieutenant governor, uh, and has stood by idly as the crime rate in California has continued to go up uh, and has incentivized the folks over at Black Lives Matter to shut down freeways and such. Uh, he says this is just chilling. It's just chilling. Like, it makes him think people are going to get guns and shoot people. Okay. Uh, this ad has been out for several days. Has there been any violence incidents by NRA members who have been uh, who have been told to shoot people by Dana? In fact, the ad itself says that all of this, all of this, the only option left is for the police to do their jobs and stop the madness. They're calling on the police to do their jobs, right? They're not calling on you to grab a gun and start shooting lefties. They're calling on the police to do their job and stop the the failures of uh, of. Of law-abiding citizens to fulfill their duty. Uh, so uh, two things can be true at once. This can be not my favorite commercial, and also it is insane to say that this commercial perpetuates violence. Okay, it doesn't perpetuate violence, doesn't call for violence, it condemns violence. The whole thing is about condemning violence. In fact, it's about condemning speech that, that even leads to violence in the perspective of the NRA. And so the left is trying to to obviously castrate the, the ad and castrate the NRA by pretending that the that the ad is some sort of open call to violence. That's just silly and it's not true. Okay, uh, another thing that I hate, final thing that I hate. Okay, so Miley Cyrus, I kind of hate this and I kind of love it because for a weird reason. So Miley Cyrus came out yesterday and she said that she is a genderless, ageless, speciesless being. Here's what she had to say. I'm laughing when you say you, you're a bit weird. How, how do you think you're weird?
1: I'm weird
0: because
1: of many reasons. I think I'm, hopefully this will become the new normal too. I think I'm weird because I don't, I feel like everything and nothing and all at once. And if if this doesn't make sense, I mean that I feel very like genderless, I feel ageless. I feel like I'm just like spirit, soul, not even divided by, human being, or I treat the animals the same, or hopefully treat the planet with as much respect as possible. So I feel very much like there's no us and them, there's no me and you, I feel like I'm kind of just, I want to be everything, and I want to be also kind of nothing, you know, I just want to be able to be myself. And so um, hopefully that stops being weird.
0: Well, okay, so it's never going to stop being weird because you are in fact a 24-year-old I mean, she says she's bisexual, but she's a, she's essentially a 24-year-old straight white female. I mean, that's that's really what she is. She's about to get married to Liam Hemsworth, um, but she's a, she's a 24-year-old. Uh, at least, maybe she's maybe she's bisexual. I don't care. Uh, it doesn't make any difference to me. But uh, at least in her actions, uh, she's currently straight, uh, and uh, and she is a, a or she's acting in straight fashion. Shall we say? I don't want to talk about her desires or orientations. In any case, uh, the the idea that she's a genderless, ageless, speciesless being. No, you're a human being who's a female who is 24 years old. Uh, one of the things that I that I like about this, though, um, is it does demonstrate that for people who have no moral grounding at all, they think that the only way to get along with other people is to give up your identity. The only way to get along with everyone else and to, and to have a society that works is for you not to be a separate human being. It's for you to merge with everything, to have no standards at all, no distinctions. Distinctions don't matter at all. Distinctions are useless. Now, the religious person says, listen, distinctions are important and meaningful. They exist in nature. Miley Cyrus is a 24-year-old white female. But, but, what we have in common is that we are all creatures of God. And that's a much more factual distinction. That is a much more interesting. It makes life interesting. It makes life worth living. Our differences are interesting and good. You know, this sort of attempt to wipe out all difference is basically the same is the attempt to, to treat humanity as a mold of clay that you can just break apart into various pieces, reshape, mold it back together. It gets rid of individual rights to treat people as non-individuals. Uh, and I, uh, ironically, what she's saying about being an individual is actually the opposite. She's saying she's everything. If she's everything, everything is her. And that means that there is no her. Right? She doesn't exist. Uh, and that is not something that I think even the left wants. So... If you want unity with other human beings, uh, then the the way to find unity with other human beings is living by a godly standard and understanding that we are all creatures of God. It is not to give up your own identity or to pretend that nature and distinctions don't exist. Okay, time for the mailbag. So we shall do the mailbag. Here we go. Ryan says, hey Ben. Love the show. Thank you for everything you do. Question for you. Do you think it would be wise or effective to push for abortion reform that requires both biological parents' consent before performing the procedure? It's a long way off from the eventual outright ban. I hope someday will be in effect. I think I answered this question actually last week, so I, I think we'll skip this one. What I said is that uh, I don't think that that would be useful because I don't think that consent by parents justifies abortion in any case. Um you know, any, any fake obstacle is fine with me, but I don't think it justifies abortion in any case. Nicholas says, hey, Ben, just subscribed today. I was wondering, what is your opinion on pensions and unions for firefighters and police officers? So my opinion on pensions and unions for firefighters and police officers is that you should not be allowed to unionize against the public. So these are all public agencies. The problem is, I'm not against union. U- unions are fine. Uh, but the unions have to exist with a bargaining across the table from somebody. And the problem with public sector unions is the way that they typically work is that they are negotiating with politicians. They elect those politicians and give money to those politicians. And then those politicians are supposed to act on behalf of your taxpayer dollars, but they actually act on behalf of the constituents who got them elected. So let's say that I pay you money. I give a bunch of money to campaign, then I elect you to a position. And then I say to you, I want you to give me a raise. Normally, we would call that corruption. right? Normally, we would call that corruption. That's basically what these unions do. They are collectively bargaining against the state, which means they are bargaining against the taxpayer. So that really should not be a thing. That should not be a thing. We can we can by law set wages. We can by law create. We can by law create structures. Um, but the, this idea that that you're going to collectively bargain, or that you can have firefighters or police who, who threaten to strike, I mean, it's very very dangerous. Actually, you've had situations where firefighters have struck in the middle of a fire in order to get higher pay, which is blackmailing the taxpayer. Uh, that's that's dangerous stuff. Now, public sector unions are uh, are not. A good thing for the country, uh, and if you want to read more about that, there's a, a very good book called Shadow Bosses by a guy I know, friends with, a named Mallory Factor, that talks all about this. And Katie McCann says, if you could pick a couple of novels or films that would give you the best insight into the hardware essence of women and men, which would you choose? Well, uh, hmm, I think that a lot of films from from various eras uh, give you a, a the best insight into women, and men. In fact, I think that sexual distinctions that existed in the that were more clearly drawn in films in the 1940s and 1950s are more accurate than sexual distinctions drawn today because there are no sexual distinctions uh, drawn today. So, uh, I I like old musicals. I think old musicals like American in Paris give you a pretty good idea of what women and men are like. Um, Maybe it's a romantic vision, but I think that's what it should be. Um, Again, none of this is is in favor of the, is, is against the idea that women should be in the workplace or anything like that. But, if you're talking about the essence of women and men, um, I think that the movie Shane is actually uh, a really good movie about women and men, uh, which is weird because it's really about a kid, but it's really about women and men. Um, let's see novels novels about women and men. Um, the book East of Eden uh, is is a fascinating book that that talks about women and men. Uh, I, I have to think about that one because I, I'm trying to race through all the literature that I've that I've read in my mind. Um, you know, I, I think that mostly the, the fact is that. You know, what teaches you about women and men are your parents? And if your parents did a bad job, it's kind of hard to get out of that. But uh, let let me think about that one and and get back to you, actually. Uh, So Matt says, hey, Ben, since you've literally written the book The Porn Generation on what social liberalism has been doing to society, could you give some advice to the younger generation who find themselves tempted by easily accessible pornography and rampant excessive sexual liberation? Thanks, Stephen. Okay, so this is one of the more difficult questions facing young men today in a society that is pervasive with sex. And men have a natural drive to look at naked women no matter what um and in in a society where that is so easily available what stops you from doing that it does desensitize pornography do- I wrote an entire book about it do- pornography does desensitize you to uh to women as human beings if you look at a lot of it men are always going to look at women as sexual objects because women are things that men want to have sex with uh, or straight men want to have sex with but looking at them solely as sexual objects, demeans them and degrades them. Uh, Plus, pornography sets up unrealistic standards about what women are going to be like in sex, that women are as aggressive about sex as men are, uh, that women, quote-unquote, want it all the time. Uh, You know, there are pretty wide distinctions between what women want with regard to sex and what men want with regard to sex, and you're getting a very unclear picture of that when you watch pornography, because pornography caters to men's fantasies of what women would be, which is basically the male sex drive in a female body, right? I mean, that's, that's sort of what men want women to be, is women who are as aggressive and want sex all the time as much as men do. Okay, they don't. They don't, okay? And pornography sets up that unrealistic expectation, and then men are disappointed when women in the real world aren't like that. So it's setting up that unrealistic expectation. Uh, it also acts like a drug, pornography. So it does have the the same impact on your brain as some drugs do. It becomes addictive. Um, it's something where it's hard to break away from. And just like, I think all men have to acknowledge that if you have a sex drive, you are a potential porn addict. Okay, unlike alcohol or or drugs all men who have a sex drive are potential pornography addicts and you have to treat pornography the same way that you would alcohol or drugs if you are somebody who is uh, who has a tendency to look at pornography and that is you have to keep yourself out of the situation You have to not go looking for it. You can't let yourself stumble. You have to draw strict lines around it. uh, And then you have to maintain uh, those those lines. William says, Hey Ben, love your show and all your brilliant ideas, but I'm wondering if someone dies and then you had a full physical and mental capacity to save them and you did not save them, is it your fault? What does Judaism have to say about this as well? Thank you so much. So in general Western thought, there's an idea that you do not have a duty to save. There is no duty to save. So if you see somebody lying on the side of the road dying and you have the capacity to save them, there's no duty to save. The reason for that is because if you have a duty to save then do you have a duty to well what do you have a duty to set do you have a duty to sacrifice yourself for that person the general answer is no but once you create duties for, for me to give up my independence for you in any way then you're saying you have a right to my services you have a right to the things that i do uh and that's a dangerous precedent to set so you know morally morally speaking and legally speaking are two very different things morally speaking. Sure, you have a duty to save someone if you can. Of course you do. Uh, I mean, if you see someone drowning and you're a lifeguard and you have the capacity to save them, jump in and save them. If you see somebody on the side of the road dying, save them, right? My wife's a doctor. If somebody comes in, can't pay their bill, she's going to care for them anyway. But legally and morally are not quite the same thing. And that's because we don't want to have a legal standard where I can impose my suffering on you because you are better off than I am. It's a dangerous standard because then victimology is basically an advantage in the legal system and we don't actually want that. John says, is the national debt detrimental to the US in the long run? And if so, why are so few politicians worried on educating the public on it? Okay, so easy answer. Of course, national debt is detrimental to the United States. Either we're gonna have to pay it through higher taxation or inflation Or other countries are just going to stop buying our bonds because they don't think we're ever going to pay it back and then we're not going to be able to borrow anymore. So, yes, national debt is a dire, dire problem. It's going to destroy the country if we don't get it under control. If you don't believe me, take a look at Greece where the national debt destroyed that country. Why don't politicians educate on it? Because politicians would always rather kick it down the road than say to you, okay guys, we gotta get our spending under control, fewer services, less government, and then we won't be burdening your children. Instead, politicians say, listen, we can afford it. Don't worry, we'll grow our way out of it. This is one lie, we'll grow our way out of it. You know, don't worry, we'll grow our way out of a $20 trillion debt. No, you're not, no. Nope, 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 nope. You're gonna have to cut your way out of a $20 trillion debt. And on the other side, you'll have politicians say, listen, we can afford it, we're the richest country in world history. Well. Technically speaking, we are the most prosperous country in world history, but also we have the most debt. We are the guy who has a $2 million house, but also has 10 charge cards that he's run up massive amounts of debt on. So, yeah, we're living rich, but we're also spending an enormous amount of money. We'd be better off getting our bills in order. Uh, Garth says, should pineapple be put on pizza? No, pineapple should not be put on pizza. I am not a fan of fruit on anything except just fruit by itself. I don't even like fruit on top of cakes. I think it's disgusting. I, I, have, a, I have a weird thing about texture in foods. I like consistent texture in foods. Um, and so if you have like a, a slimy piece of strawberry on top of a fluffy piece of cake, this is not my favorite thing. Josh says... Hey Ben, I noticed when you were broadcasting at your home you had a graphic novel with Joker on the cover over your left shoulder. Awesome. Are you a DC or Marvel guy? Well, I've discussed this before. I am absolutely a DC guy. I am not a huge fan of the Marvel world. I think that it is lightweight. What? Do you have any suggestions on good comics, graphic novels? Yes, I have recommended them on the on this program before. So you should go back and listen to some of the old episodes. Um, but some of my very favorites uh, include the... Uh, oh, what is it called now? Uh, Dark Victory? Um, some of the great Batman ones uh, are... Uh, oh. You know what? Now I'm gonna have to look it up. Best Batman graphic novels. Oh, there's one that nobody knows and likes, but I love it, and it's uh, Batman and Robin All Stars, uh, which is uh, which is a, a graphic novel by Frank Miller, which is a very different picture of, of Batman. Batman is kind of a sadist in this one, and really enjoys his job. Not the Christian. He, he's the he's more of the um, Ben Affleck Batman than he is the Christian Bale Batman. Christian Bale Batman is kind of reluctant to be Batman. Ben Affleck, Batman, enjoys being Batman. That's the Frank Miller, Batman, and Robin, uh, all-stars. Uh, Superman, Red Sun is one of the great all-time comics. It's just fantastic. Um, the, uh, oh, so, uh, what is the name of it? It's, it's the prequel to Dark Victory. Why can I never remember the... the Thank you, The Long Halloween. Thank you, Austin. Okay, so The Long Halloween, great, great comic, uh, one of the classics of all time. Okay, um, David says, How long should the U.S. feel guilt for the way in which Native Americans were treated during the formation of the country? At what point does the whole thing fall into the civilization of Old Bucket? So my feeling is that you should not feel guilty for things that you are not responsible for. End of story. So when we talk about collective guilt, the country's guilt, we can talk about the people of the time being guilty of doing terrible things. And we can talk about you know whether we can talk about what should have been done at the time to rectify the situation for Native Americans, but I can't feel guilty about what the country did for Native Americans because I wasn't here when it was happening. And I think that uh, I have a very biblical worldview on all of this. You should feel guilt for the stuff you do, not for the stuff that your parents did. Uh, you should just be a better person. That's a, the answer to guilt is not guilt. It should be a better... The purpose of guilt, the purpose of shame is for you to be a better person. If you're already that better person and you're not somebody who's going to go stealing na- stealing Native American land, um, then I don't see what you have to feel guilty about. El Khadon says, Hey Ben, why is it expensive to live in most liberal cities? Because of regulations. End of story. They, they regulate everything. Everything is regulated and taxed. Uh, and so it is very expensive. Final question. Nick says, Ben, from listening to you over the past two years, it seems you do way more each day than the average person. Why does it seem like your days are 48 hours long? Everyone else just has 24. Or rather, how do you structure your days in order to get done everything that you do? Uh, so I tend to really structure my days. When I say structure my days, uh, I mean like structure them down to the hour. So I get up in the morning. I know what I'm doing for the first couple hours of my day. I come in and I do the show. Uh, I leave the show and I run the website for several hours. I go work out, and then by 5 p.m. it's time for me to take care of my kids. By 4. 35 p.m., it's time for me to take care of my kids. They go to bed. I do a little bit more work and hang out with my wife. But you have to, str- I'm a big fan of planning. Uh, And the only way that you're going to have a good day is not if you, in discombobulated fashion, just pick fruit off the tree of things you have to do. Instead, you have to say, okay, here's my list of things I'm going to do today. Start with the small things to get done first, because if you can get the small things out of the way, it gives you a feeling of momentum. Uh, And then get on to the big things and have a structured plan. Structured plans keep you in check. If you make structured plans, you're going to have a much happier life. People think unstructured, living free, being artistic, feeling that this is going to make you happy. No, what makes you happy is having a structured plan, achieving things, and then when you get to relax you can actually relax because you got done what you need to do okay we will be back here on Monday at 9am look forward to seeing you then I'm Ben Shapiro this is the Ben Shapiro Show we'll get to more on this in just one second first